Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Sarah Hunter and I'm our Connections Associate here at Rolling Hills. As we continue exploring Ephesians 6, we'll be hearing from Pastor T and learning about the armor of God and how we can use it in our daily lives. Our prayer is that this series will help equip you with the tools you need to face your daily spiritual battles. Now let's hear from Pastor T. Amen. So just as a, a, a little bit of a, a bridge here between these two. Am I on? Did I, did I forget to turn this on? Okay. Um, my name is not actually T, period, right? My name is Thomas, but I've just gone by T for a long time, so you can call me T. If you don't like it, if it makes you feel uncomfortable to call me that, that's fine. You can call me whatever you want to. Um, lots of people have called me things way different, so uh, we'll go with that. So, um, and I am super thankful to be here this morning, and uh, as Pastor Jason said, we are in the process of launching our Columbia campus, uh, and, and covet, treasure your prayers uh, as we work towards that. We'll launch in the fall. So if you know folks that are in Columbia, like as you are here, if you know folks that are in Columbia that, that need a church and don't, don't have a place where they've called home yet, we would love for, let us know. We'd contact them and let them know about what's happening there. Uh, and so that they can be a part of it. It's, it's going to be exciting. So um, we are in the middle of a series called Everyday Armor. And John Bunyan, the, the 17th century author, right, the writer of the Christian classic Pilgrim's Progress, wrote these words from his own experience. He says this, that every Christian is locked in a battle. And there is no day before we go home to be with the Father that there will be quiet. What Bunyan says is that, that every, Christian is, every Christian is locked in a battle and there's not going to be one day that any of us experience as those who are believers, those who have put their faith in Christ, not one day will we go through where there's not conflict. And I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in this. I feel that quote deeply on a daily basis. I probably felt it on my way here this morning and slick roads and whatnot. And it, was, it was a totally different kind of battle, but either way. There's these moments uh, throughout each of our days where we are in conflict. And over the past several weeks, what we've been working through is this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul gives us this everyday armor for believers to wear, the instructions to put on the full armor of God. And one of the kind of a thesis statement for our series is this, that the everyday armor of God equips us to stand strong when, not if, the schemes of the enemy come our way or come your way. When, not if. And two weeks ago as we started, Pastor Jeff kind of pulled back the curtain and shined the light on the reality that we are in a spiritual battle. And it's not flesh and blood. It's, it's, it's powers and principalities that we battle with, that there's legitimately a battle going on around us. And then last week, Pastor Jason reminded us or worked through the first three pieces of that armor as he talked about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the gospel of peace. And he reminded us that in, in, as they preached that, that the, each of these pieces of armor are, are, are represent a way that the gospel takes root and is applied in our lives. And so as those pieces of armor are locked in place and this battle that we're in, what do we do when we find ourselves discouraged, defeated, depressed, anxious, fearful, confused, and uncertain? What do we do in those moments where things seem to be falling apart and you, like me, experience the heat of that battle? What do we do in those moments? And I believe as we turn to the next group of of verses, verses 16 and 17 in Ephesians 
chapter 6, that God's word is going to be clear to give us some encouragement for the battle that we face each of us every day. And so if you're able, I'd invite you to open up God's Word using the app or, or, or your actual Bible, or if you, have, uh, if you just want to read it on the screens behind me. We're going to read the first verses 10 through 17 here together. And then we'll continue in looking at the, th- the next three things that God kind of gives us, as Paul describes it, for, those, for that everyday battle. This is the Word of the Lord. Verse 10, it says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. And put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. Verse 14, it says, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Verse 16, in addition to this, to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your word, the sword of the spirit that we have in our hands. We thank you for this full armor that you've given us to face the battles that each and every one of us face. We thank you that we can come here and declare your word in song. We thank you that we can open it up and and God, that it can be that sword that's double-edged and and splits soul and marrow and soul and spirit and bone and marrow is living and active. And Father, we pray that your word would be that this morning, that it would be a word fitly spoken, a word spoken at the right time for us to give us encouragement for the battle that we find ourselves in today. I believe, God, that your word has encouragement for us, strength for us today for the moment that we find ourselves in. It's in Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen. So again, the question, what do we do with all of those pieces, with with all of those pieces locked in place as followers of Christ, as believers, as Christians? What do we do when we find ourselves discouraged, anxious, fearful, confused, uncertain? What do we do in those moments? And Paul says in in verse 16, he kind of gives us that next statement. What do we do in those places? We stand firm with everything locked in place. And in addition to all of those things, the breastplate, the feet fitted with the gospel, in addition to all of those things, in every situation, as some translations will say, he says, take up. So all of those others are fitted in place. They're ready. And then these three, he says, to take up. That action of of arming yourself with them. He says these three, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. And let's begin with the shield of faith. The shield of faith provides full protection. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this in. The shield of faith provides full protection or full coverage, excuse me, provides full coverage. 
There's a couple of variations that come to mind when we think about Roman soldiers and the shields that they would, they would carry. Most of the time, I think what comes to mind is that, like that circle shield, right? And maybe it's the, the image here that, that we have of uh, that Roman meal bread. I think we have that image. That, that, that image of a Roman soldier on the Roman meal bread, right? That, that, that little circle, so that circle shield that would protect in certain battles, Right, and I, I don't know, did anybody else's grandparents have this? Does this bread still even exist? I'm not even sure. But this is, the, this is what my grandparents had, and, and I, like, I hated wheat bread until I was an adult because of this stuff right here. And I kind of still hate it. I really like the refined things that make it white and peanut butter and jelly and all. Anyway, so I'm hungry. But that's usually what I think about, right? Maybe you needed one of those this week when your kids were throwing snowballs at you, right? And you needed that trash can lid that nobody has anymore, that, that metal trash can lid, right? This, when we think back, oh, that would be really good. But that circle shield is really what comes to mind most often. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's not using that language. He uses a different word. And the word there is scutum or scutum, which is a different shield. And it was much, much bigger, much larger. It would be at least two and a half feet wide. There's an image of it for us there, four and a half feet tall. It was much different than that small, round shield. And this shield was made of plywood. Really, it's not, it wasn't plywood then, but what we think of plywood now, sheets of wood glued together and usually curved to be able to, to knock the, the arrows that would fly at the, at the soldiers off. It was intricately designed to protect the soldier in battle, it would have canvas as the, the layer above the wood that would, canvas would be on it. And above that, on top of the canvas, would be rawhide or leather of some sort that was specifically designed that when arrows that were tipped with tar and lit on fire would come at the soldiers, that it would extinguish the arrows of the enemy. And it was big enough for them to stand behind or, or when the, even the largest of, of Roman soldiers to crouch behind and find full protection, full coverage in the midst of the battle. And this is the shield that Paul describes for us as Christians that we take up. One that we find full coverage, that we stand behind or or find shelter and and refuge behind the shield, the shield that is our faith that that is distinctly designed to, to extinguish the fiery arrows or fiery darts of the enemy. The question for me is, okay, well, what, what does it mean for my faith to be a shield? Right? I know what it means to, to hold something up in front of me that blocks snowballs for my kids. But what does it mean for my faith to be a shield against arrows of the enemy? Tony Evans puts, makes, writes this definition. that we have it on the screen. It says, faith is acting or living like it is so even when it is not so in order that it might be so simply because God said so. That's a little bit different definition of faith, but I think it captures for us that that reality that it is living in in the midst of a battle as if it is so, as if the promises of God are true, even when we don't see them or we're not experiencing them in that moment as true, because we know that when we live that way, that they will be so because God said so. That we can trust that as the enemy's arrows come at us, that we can believe that God is going to protect us. 
See, that living in this faith or, or, or the faith being a shield is not talking about trusting in God. It's not thinking about trusting in God. Faith that is our shield that covers us, that extinguishes the arrows of the enemy is faith that confidently rests in the nature and the character and the goodness and the purpose of God and trusting every, every, every area of our lives to the promises of God that are true in Christ Jesus. Our work, our marriage, our kids, every area of our lives. But then there's these flaming arrows. Well, what, what is that? Well, what, what are we talking about? What is he, what is he talking about in, those, in, the, in the moment where he says flaming arrows? And, and truly, they would be tar-chipped arrows or, 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 or javelin spears that would be thrown. But for us, what, what are those flaming arrows? And if you're taking notes again, the flaming arrows that we see in this passage are meant to cause distractions and diversions and chaos. The arrows as in, in the middle of a battle was not necessarily to mortally wound the, the soldier. It was to cause a distraction so that the, the soldier's eyes would turn from the battle at hand to cause a little chaos and diversion. It was a, as Pastor Nick from our Nashville campus put it, I thought really well as we were talking about the sermon this week. He says it's a deliberate, even strategic distraction. A deliberate, strategic distraction. A diversion from what's important so that we look away from the battle that we face that we might be overcome. It's not haphazard. It's strategic. Some of you will remember this game that we used to play on playgrounds. For their handful of you, you were like, that was awesome. There's some of us in the room who are like, that was terrifying. <laughs> because being a, a slightly robust young boy that was not necessarily very athletic. I was not very confident in being able to run through even the weakest link in the chain. And I always knew that they were going to pick me in that moment where they were coming after to find the weakest link because they knew that I wasn't going to be able to hold the hands. There's, strategic, there's, there's strategy in this game, right? Some of you know that you were the ones that were picked on, and we need to go see counselors for this, right? There's, there's moments that they've actually banned this game in some schools because of the horror that it causes for adults later on. Our enemy knows where we're vulnerable. He knows where to attack. He studied us, and he knows how to attack us, how to attack us. and the arrows that come after you are strategic. And as Pastor Joel said, he knows where to attack him. The enemy knew to throw that shame from those moments where he walked away at him. Now throwing that shame may not be the way that he attacks you, but that's the way that he attacked him. It's the way that he attacks me. Maybe it's pride. Maybe he throws not only, not only the things that you've done in the past that are, bring shame. Maybe it's those things that puff up your chest and make you prideful so that your eyes are away from the seriousness of the battle. There's all kinds of arrows that the enemy is throwing at us. And he knows exactly the arrows to throw at each of us to take our eyes off of the battle that we're in. They're strategic. And they throw those, those fiery arrows of shame and doubt and envy and past failures to turn our eyes from the, the things that are good to worthless things and temporary things. And our world, as we face those, those, bad, or those, those arrows, our world would say, fight fire with fire. 
Our world says to, say, to fight fire with fire, but, but the Bible says to fight fire with faith. That we stand behind the shield of faith when the arrows of the enemy come, that, that when the words of condemnation come from the enemy, we stand in faith and say, I'm forgiven. When the words of fear and anxiety and envy and jealousy come, the, we, we stand behind the truth and the faith that God provides all of our needs. When we're depressed and hopeless, we stand behind the, the truth and faith that God is a pre, we have a present hope and our savior and savior and an unshakable future when isolation and loneliness and abandonment creep in and those arrows hit at or come at us we can trust and stand behind the shield of faith that says we have a place in the family of God that we are children of God sons and daughters when uncertainty and what ifs and unknowns and 2020s come at us Stand in faith behind the shield that says God is sovereign and in control. We answer not fire with fire, but fire with faith. Standing behind that shield, trusting in him more than we trust in ourselves, more than what we can see. There's one last thing about the shield and we need to move on. But the shield is its strongest in community. The shield is strongest in community. And this is one of the most incredible things about the ways the Romans used these huge shields in the middle of battles, the formation where they would literally cover the whole group together. They would huddle in. This is pre-COVID, I promise. They would huddle in really close together. And historians would even suggest that they had, they had hooks that would, they would connect these shields together. And even if my shield didn't completely cover me when I was by myself, it did when I was with others that my weakness the slight weakness in my shield when I was by myself was covered by you when I was huddled together it's easy isn't it they function better they were their strongest in community we need each other so who are those people that you're locking arms with who are those people that that you that that cover you when you don't have the ability to cover yourself What's keeping you from finding those people? We need each other. That's why we make such a big deal about finding community groups and being in circles with people where we can fight together because our shield of faith functions and is strongest in community. We need to move on. It says the next one that we take up is the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation, if you... Think back if you've seen movies that kind of d depict these battles in far old times, especially like Roman battles. What you see is these battles are not fought the way that battles are fought today where we are. A lot of battles are fought from a distance, but here in, in Scripture, the battles that these guys would know about when they're reading and understanding what Paul's talking about are battles that are fought up close. There are battles that, that, that are fought near and, and personal and up close, and so the helmet was a helmet that gave protection. That no soldier was ready for battle without the helmet because the helmet gave confidence and assurance. It was fashioned out of a strong metal and it would cover everything but the eyes and nose and mouth. And the strong metal was virtually impenetrable. I mean, it, could, it would literally take all, all of what the enemy could throw at it. And it was essential for the soldier because it gave confidence and assurance. And so... We have to, to say, well, what is the helmet of salvation for us? 
And the good news is for us is, is that this, is, this helmet of salvation is what Paul describes in 1 Thessalonians uh, in 5.8. He, he kind of gives us a different picture or says different words. He says it's the helmet of the hope of salvation. And so for us, it's not the helmet of salvation. Some of you have trusted Christ for salvation, and, and you're like, well, I don't have a helmet yet. Like, where's my helmet? It's coming, right? It's slowed down because of the, the snow. That's not true. What is the helmet of salvation? It's the hope of salvation. It's not truly a helmet that, that we get when we are saved, but it's the hope of our salvation that we cover our heads with. That reminder that, that we are saved and what happens because of our salvation. It's the, this salvation, this hope of salvation refers to the rescue and the restoration and the security that we find when we've, been, when we've put our faith in Christ and we've been saved. That rescue from the deadly results of sin that separated us from Christ. And the regeneration that comes and the justification are those big theological words that, that, that give us new life and new position. That restoration of relationship with the Father, that's the sanctification that's ongoing, that new identity that we have as children of God. And the new direction that we're going that, that is the constant of, of walking with Him. It's that security and the promises of God and the power of God. The glorification, again, the, the theological word that, that there's going to be a day that we are saved already, but not yet. That there's a time when we will go to be and experience the fullness of that salvation and the hope that we have and the new future that we have. So this helmet of salvation is, is referring to those, to those things, that rescue and that restoration and that security. And it's a call for us to live every day of our lives out of that or from our identity in light of our eternity. From our identity in light of our eternity. The helmet of salvation, as some authors that have put it, is, is a rehearsing of the gospel truth in our lives. And by that I mean every day it's putting on that helmet Reminding ourselves of the truth of how we have been saved. Reminding ourselves of God's holiness and his majesty and his perfection, his power. Reminding ourselves as we put that helmet of salvation on of the foolishness of our rebellion and sin and the consequences of that sin. Putting on that helmet of salvation to remind ourselves and rejoice in the overwhelming love and grace that we've experienced that God has lavished on us. By sending his son to take our place on the cross, reminding ourselves, rehearsing the truth of the gospel when we, and rejoicing in the finished work of Christ. That he's given us new life, restoring relationship with the Father, giving us a new identity as the child of God. It's rehearsing and reminding ourselves as we put that helmet of salvation on. That on my very best day, I had nothing to do with my salvation. That I could do nothing to bring about what God did in me and for me. It's reminding myself when I put on that helmet of salvation that he's not done with me. That he is continuing to shape and mold me and make me look more like him. It's reminding myself when I put on that helmet of salvation that I am not alone in the battle that I'm locked in. And that no weapon that will form against me will prosper. 
It's reminding myself when I put that helmet on of salvation that my hope is not in what I can see, but what is unseen. And I'm a sojourner in this world because my citizenship is not here, but in heaven. It's reminding myself that these momentary sorrows can't compare to the eternal glory that I'm destined for. And that's why we put that helmet day in and day out to remind ourselves of the hope of our salvation, the joy that we have in our salvation. It protects our minds and helps us take our thoughts captive. As we put it on, it protects our minds and takes, helps us takes, take our thoughts captive because the reality that our thoughts have such a measurable and tangible effect on our attitudes and our actions, when we leave that helmet off, we leave ourselves susceptible and unprotected from the enemy's attack. That helmet gives us the ability to see straight and to remain steady and confident in the heat of battle. And lastly, we take up the sword of the Spirit, which Paul tells us is the Word of God. There's two real main points I want you to see, that the Bible is the only offensive weapon for the Christian. There's plenty of weapons, there's plenty of the shoes, the, the feet, our feet fitted with the gospel of peace is offensive, but it's not an offensive weapon. The sword of the Spirit is the only offensive weapon for the Christian described here for, from Paul in God's Word. And the Bible alone is completely sufficient, is a completely sufficient weapon for every Christian. So what I want you to hear is that I'm not saying that it's the only like, oh, it's all I got. No, it's the only and it's sufficient. Because he tells us that, that the, the, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that word thoroughly equipped, if you go back to the original language, it says perfectly equipped, completely, completely furnished with everything that we need for the battle that we find ourselves in. It's not a sword that, that we just wish we had more. It's a sword of the Spirit that gives us everything that we need, perfectly equipped for what we, have, for what we face and what he means when he talks about it being the sword of the Spirit is not that we learn how to take this and swing it around in the middle of our battles, right? It's not that I'm on my way here and facing some kind of struggle as I'm driving and I take my Bible out and I start waving it around in the car. Could you imagine how funny that would be? And they'd be like, there's a guy, crazy dude, swinging a Bible around. And what he's talking about is, is that it's when the Word of God comes alive in those moments. I love the way that Pastor, Pastor Joel described it a second ago. In the middle of that place where God, where, where the enemy is throwing that, that, those past sins and that, the, the shame of the past, that God's word, the sword of the Spirit, came alive. That's what it's talking about in this passage. And you've experienced it, I'm certain. When a passage that you've read a thousand times comes alive in that moment, in that dark moment of desperation, when you're standing behind the shield of faith and you just need God to show up, and he does in his word. And it's the sword that strikes down the enemy's attack. And to be warriors who stand firm, excuse me, to be warriors 
who stand firm. We have to be warriors who treasure and skillfully handle God's word. To be warriors who stand firm, we're going to have to be warriors that treasure and skillfully handle God's word. And treasuring God's word means, looks like time and submission. Spending time with God and his word and submitting to God and what his word says. Obedience is our greatest. As we are obedient to, our, to God's word, we see God's promises come to life. Submitting to it. And to skillfully handle God's word, I want to give us a couple just to run through these real quick because I believe that they're important for us. Skillfully handling God's word is, is, is made up of about five, and I want to add a sixth thing. First, it's hearing it. First, to be able to, to be skillful in God's word, it's hearing God's word. And that's what it means to come here and hear God's word as it's preached and sung. It's been sitting in a small group or a community group and God's word is opened and it's taught in those places. It's, it's hearing God's word is the first part of being skillful in, in handling God's word. And secondly, it's reading it. Simply reading God's word. It's the daily practice of every disciple of Jesus Christ. It's the daily practice that all of us have to have in order to be the least bit skillful in handling God's word. It would be staggering the numbers, I believe, if we were to take a poll of the numbers of individuals who say that they are maturing Christians that don't have a habit of daily or even often reading God's word. How can we be skillful in handling God's word if we don't? Read it. I don't, I'm not trying to condemn or shame anybody. What I, what I hope is that the Holy Spirit moves in you and helps you see the importance of reading God's word. It's the primary way that God changes us. Now, not only reading it, but studying it. And what's the difference between reading and studying? Studying is, 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 it doesn't necessarily just mean that we break out the highlighters and underline some things. Really the difference, if you could kind of just go with this, and, and that it's, it's the difference between seeing a friend and passing and having a short conversation with them. That you leave and you're glad that you got to see them. Your heart is, is, is encouraged and you are so thankful that you got to see them. And setting up a, the difference between that and setting up a lunch where you actually get to sit and share life together. The slowing down of spending time with God and his word, not just to read quickly, to hear his voice from his word and to share your voice as you bring your hopes and your, your prayers before him. Studying God's word, it's the difference between I've read a medical journal about brain surgery, but you don't want me to do brain surgery on you because I've never studied it. I want to sit with it and know it, grab a commentary that helps me understand it and it's not just the knowledge that puffs up. It's so that we understand the beauty and the glory and the majesty of God. And it, it grows us and it helps us become more and more in, in relationship with him, strengthening those cords of relationship. And then we meditate. And we think about God's word. And all of us know what meditation is because all of us have had what, I, what plenty of us know is called an earworm. Right? Remember, let me, let me just give you one. This is the song that doesn't end and goes on, you know? You ever heard that one? And now you're going to sing it for the rest of the afternoon. You're welcome. There's a couple of others that I uh, don't need to sing. 
But you know what it means to have an earworm? When something just sticks in your head and it rolls in your head all day long. Maybe it's an anxiety that rolls in your head all day long and you can't escape it. Maybe it's something that's joyful that rolls and you can't wait because tomorrow the snow is going to melt and you, me- you just meditate on that and you're so excited because kids are going to go back to school. <laughs> it's letting God's word roll in your mind in a simple way just... What a practice that just recently I've adopted from Pastor Jacob at our, at our Franklin campus of just writing a passage down on an index card and sticking it in my pocket or putting it in my planner where we're on, ongoing throughout the day. As I put my hand in my pocket to pick up my keys or whatever, I'm reminded of that truth and I ask God, why did that truth stick out this morning? Well, God, thank you for that truth that you never leave us nor forsake us. I needed that today. Meditating on God's word, memorizing it, hiding in our, in our hearts that we might not sin against him. When scripture becomes easily available in the midst of those moments where, where, where there's an attack, I can, I can use scripture as, as that place where the sword begins to, to cut through that attack because it's hidden in my heart. And that, the last one, just in addition, because those first five, it's, that's not mine. That's from the Navigator's uh, ministry. It's called the Word Hand. That's a long since been used. But the sixth that I think is really important is that we speak it. It's something to have it memorized and hidden here, but, but when we speak it, it's, it's bringing it out to that situation. It's what Jesus does when, he's, when he is tempted in the desert by the enemy as he's there fasting. He speaks the word. And in speaking the word in that moment, it's the sword that cuts that temptation. So we speak it. To be those who rightly handle it. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to understand it. We're going to have to treasure it. And be skillful in handling it by spending time in it. Reading and studying and meditating. And memorizing. Speaking it. I think I missed one. But we're going to keep going. Every Christian, every one of us is locked every day in a battle. In that battle, we've been given an armor. And we take up the shield of faith to find refuge. We take up that helmet and rehearse the gospel. We take up that sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God to cut down the enemy's attack. But what's incredible is as, in, as, a, as a soldier in the army, as a soldier that puts on the armor of God, what is incredible for us is that the battle that we find ourselves locked in is a battle that is already won. It's not a battle that hangs in, in, in the balance. It is a battle that Christ has already won for us. He has gone before us. And he is our defender We can trust him. He said it is finished. It is finished. And as as we are locked in that spiritual battle, we stand as victors more than conquerors because of what Christ Jesus has done. Every day. Every Christian. Every day armor. Knowing that he has gone before us. He defends us. And he has already been victorious. We're going to sing a song, and I want this song to be our prayer. So as it begins, 
They're just going to sing it over us. We'll, they'll invite us to join in in just a moment. But I want it to be a prayer. Maybe it's a prayer not where you bow your heads, but that you turn your attention to the screens and read this. And maybe you verbalize it as your prayer today. But let this be what kind of closes us out before Pastor Jason comes and finishes us up for, the, for this morning. Let this be our prayer this morning. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.